0: If you have your Bibles, we are in what is probably the, the book and the chapter that holds the most famous verse um, that, that our generation and generations before us have ever clung to. And we're going to be in John chapter 3. Uh, John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, this past Wednesday, our midweek, uh, we had an awesome opportunity to come together as a faith family and to pray. Uh, We take the first Wednesday of every month and we just have a time here in the worship center that we just sit aside to specifically pray. And as a part of our prayer time this past Wednesday, we had our, our Guatemala mission team members here as a part of that. And they were able to show videos and share testimony. And then we spent time praying over the work that continues uh, to today, and it was, it was wonderful. We celebrated the fact that, that in a week's time, two homes were built for, for families that desperately had need. They celebrated two baptisms there uh, in their time there, are 21 people coming to faith in Christ and Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation, and just celebrating that together as a faith family, and seeing the pictures and the images and just the, the frontline stories are so encouraging. And many of you may know because you were praying that 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 most of the team made their way back last Saturday, uh, a week before yesterday. And there were three of our team that weren't able to make the trip back uh, due to COVID restrictions. But I praise the Lord and I, I think they do as well that they made it safely back home on Friday. Uh, and so just having that time to be reunited with family and just a, just a, it's just. I just want to say thank you again to the men that went and served uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And they say pictures are worth a thousand words, but there are some pictures that are way more than a thousand words, and they're more than words. And so I want to show you a more than a thousand words picture, and it's a picture from uh, from Guatemala, from the mission team being down there. And in this picture, uh, I want to show this picture. This is a picture of, uh, one of the recipients of the homes that was built. The lady's name is Claudia. She's a single mother doing the best that she can to raise three children. And she was the recipient of, of one of these homes. And the picture you're seeing is of, is of our team leader, Tommy Taylor, literally handing her the keys to this home that she will now call home and to raise her family. And in this picture, you see, obviously, there is an overwhelmedness of just uh, really, is this kind of happening? Is this really happening? And so I want you to store this picture in in your heart and in your mind as we walk through this text of a lady named Claudia, a single mom who received a gift that she could have never received on her own. And that if I had to describe, if there was a word that I had to use to describe this picture, there's a thousand and there's even more, but one of those words is love. That it's love. That love motivated that picture. Love is what provided the hands and feet of making that picture happen. And I think we would all agree, it's one thing for somebody to tell us they love us, and it's a whole nother thing when that love is demonstrated. And so in other words, like, Word, like saying I love you is great, but, but all of us probably would answer the question, how do you know that person loves you? It won't be because they told us they loved us. It will be because their life, something they invested in you, some sacrificial time and energy and gift into your life, that this is what shows love to you. And so here's what we're going to see all through this passage that we're walking through is God could have, God could have just said, I love you. That God from a distance could have, could have just screamed out to all of his creation, I love you. I love you. I love everybody. He, he could have said that. But what God did was he didn't just say, I love you. And he didn't just say to every single person that he loves you. God demonstrates his love toward you. That he did way more than just say it. He sacrificially invested in all of our lives. And so we're going to see this story of love unfold and this main idea of this message today is that Jesus Christ died and rose again so that we could have life. So again, God could have just said it, but instead he shows us. So we are, it's almost like we're, we're in a plane and we're parachuting in on the back end of a, of a gospel conversation. This is Jesus Christ and he's having a gospel conversation with probably... What had to have been one of the most religious people on the planet that this evening conversation is one between Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the savior of the Lord, God in the flesh and a super, super uber religious man named Nicodemus. That if there was an award that you could win for being the most religious person, Nicodemus would would win that award. If he didn't win it, he would be really, really close. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that he was was a ruler of the Jews. And you just don't jump in that position. That literally is a lifetime. That's a lifetime of kind of working up the Pharisee ladder to become a religious leader among the Jews. So he's a man of some seasoning and age. And he literally would have gone through memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament by the time he was 12 years old. And then the next 15 years would be spent memorizing the rest of what was known as the Old Testament at that time, the Tanuk. And and then he would follow a rabbi around and literally would dust uh, the dust off his clothes because he's following so closely to that rabbi. And so this is Nicodemus, a very religious man, a devout man a man who had a great respect for God, a man whose whole life was built on moral righteousness, like being passionate about living a good and moral life. That's who Nicodemus is. In the Old Testament, there are 613 Old Testament laws. Nicodemus, his passion and his zeal was to follow to the T every single one of those laws. And so this is this religious man and Jesus is trying to teach him a lesson that is going to radically challenge his worldview that he has had his entire life. So for Nicodemus, he thought the fact that he was a Jew, that he was golden, like he's in the bloodline of God's chosen people. He's a Jew. So he's got that going for him. Not only that, he's a very moral, upright do the right thing, obey the law kind of guy. And so here he is, his whole life up to this point, now a ruler of the Jews, and Jesus is telling him a earth-shattering truth for him and for us today, is that it does not matter how religious you are. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if, if you treat God with respect. And it doesn't matter if If you have memorized the first five books of the Bible or even the Old Testament, you can memorize the whole Bible and still not enter the kingdom of God. That for what Jesus is teaching him, his whole life has been, I'm a Jew and I'm morally upright and I'm doing all the right things and I cling to the law. And Jesus says this, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. John 3.3, verily, verily, truly, truly, he is communicating a truth that is essential for all people to hear. And what he's going to do as he continues this conversation is he's not just going to tell Nicodemus about his love and he's not just going to tell us about his love. He's going to communicate to us how he demonstrates his love toward us. And so we're going to see three demonstrations of God's love for us. In this passage, and the first is this for God so loved the world that he came to us in verse 11 of John chapter three. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Well, Jesus is the only one in this conversation right now. It's he, it's Nicodemus, it's nighttime. It's just the two of them. And Jesus is talking in plural. So who's he talking about? It could be that he was talking about John the baptizer, who was the forerunner that was making the way straight for the Lord. It could have been for those disciples who had obviously received the testimony of the Lord and who Jesus was. The fact that Jesus is God and he came to give life. But it could also speak to that Trinitarian relationship that we see all through scripture And that is that biblical essential truth that God is one and he reveals himself in three persons. God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. And so the we of the Trinity is communicated all through the word. And so he's teaching, he's communicating who he is. But then he changes the conversation and he says, but you do not receive our testimony and that word you isn't singular you, Nicodemus. That you is actually plural in its original form. And what he's saying is y'all. In other words, all of you who have rejected who I am, that you you do not receive me. And so this refers to Nicodemus. It refu- it, it it refers to all of those like Nicodemus who would be maybe one of those who what would be described as. And, and it's not mean to to, to to, to, to sound demeaning, but there's a superficial shallowness to your faith that, that in other words, it was this superficial, shallow, uh, intellectual agreement that Nicodemus had. And many people did. It was not saving faith. It was just a, a kind of a, an agreement of, of intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. And so with Nicodemus, he is, refers to Jesus as a rabbi. He's meeting him with a term of respect. Again, his good moral upstanding. But Jesus, again, he is teaching him that it doesn't matter if you respect Jesus. It doesn't matter if you think you're a really good person like Nicodemus. It doesn't matter if you've memorized the whole Old Testament like Nicodemus. If you have not been born again, if you have not begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will never see the kingdom of God. He's what the Bible would call a natural man. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians two 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he does not, he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so we've received this testimony about who I am, but you Plural, all of those with just a, a respect and an intellectual agreement have not received our testimony. Verse 12, Jesus says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, again, if, if we were just to jump into the verses just before we're, we're in this morning, uh, you would see Jesus saying, listen to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's communicating this truth. And so it's not your physical birth, Nicodemus, that's going to get you into heaven. Like you think just because of the bloodline, you're good to go, but you got to be spiritually reborn. And it comes to all of those who acknowledge their need for Jesus, repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. It's through a relationship. It's through a relationship. And so for Nicodemus, again, he is processing all of this. And what this would require for Nicodemus is a very humbling moment. It would mean for Nicodemus that there would become this kind of awareness and this ownership. That it's not my bloodline that is going to get me into heaven. It's not the fact that I can quote a lot of scripture that's going to get me into heaven. It's not the fact that I've devoted my life to keep 613 rules perfectly that's going to get me into heaven. He would have to admit his spiritual bankruptcy and to set aside this worldview that he's had his entire life up to that point and admit that he's not good enough on his own to have a relationship with God and spend eternity with him. My dad was in town on Friday, spending some time with him. I can't remember what we were talking about, but in our conversation, he said this, son, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I don't even know what we were talking about. But this is, this is, I I get a similar feel with Nicodemus. He's a ruler. He's lived this life with this worldview. And Jesus is saying, you're not good enough on your own to enter the kingdom of God. It's an incredible truth. Verse 13. Here's the good news. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. All of us have limitations. I'm reminded every night when I'm really tired and I lay my head down on my pillow that I need sleep in order to function. That as much as like you, sometimes I want to pretend like I have a cape and that that that, that we can do anything and we can just keep on going. The reality is, is we're all finite. We all have limits. We all we all have, uh, you know, this this we're we're not God. We're not God. And so so. None of us, this side of eternity could ever be smart enough or wise enough or good enough or strong enough to ascend up into heaven. We can't do it on our own. God's trying to teach Nicodemus, you can't do this on your own. But here's the good news. We can't do it on our own. So what does God do? We couldn't ascend to him, but he descends to us. This is such good news John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is this will? Luke 19 10, to seek and to save the lost. I think of this picture as I read this text of a mountain. And I want you to get the, the picture of a mountain in your mind. And at the base, I want to I want us to, to represent all of us just kind of hanging out at the bottom of this mountain. And at the top of the mountain is God. And and all of false religion has been built on this striving of doing and earning and in hopes of ultimately working and earning and being good enough and doing good enough and that our good outweighs our bad and keep trying and keep striving and keep working. That maybe one day if we keep working and keep working and keep working, that somehow man can ascend up to a relationship with God and all of us, I believe, understand based on the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that that is a mountain that no person can climb. No man can climb. No woman can climb that mountain. So what does God do? God's like, you can't ascend to me. So I am going to descend to you. And this is the beauty of of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus, the first missionary comes down clothed in flesh and dwells among us. The gospel says we can't climb. That's a climb I can't ever make. But the good news is that God came down to us. And So for God so loved the world that he came to us, something we could never do. But for God so loved the world also that he died for us. He died for us. Verse 14, John three. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And so for Nicodemus, remember ruler of the Jews memorized Old Testament for a Jew growing up. Moses is one of your heroes. Like he he's one of the heroes of the Old Testament but we see in scripture whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament God is the hero of all scripture Jesus is the hero of all scripture But Nicodemus would know he would be able to recall the story when Jesus says just like Moses in the wilderness his light bulb's going to come on and he's like I know that story I know that story here is what that story says it's from Numbers chapter 21 and I want to read verses five through nine. Here's the story Jesus is referring to. And the people, and by the way, this is the, the time of the wilderness wanderings for the people of Israel. So they're wandering through the wilderness. Verse five, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. We ha- Why have you bought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water And we loathe this worthless food. In other words, we have no food, but the food we do have is worthless. They're just, they're they're bitter. Can you hear the bitter? They're bitter, they're angry. Verse six, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make fiery serpent, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is an amazing connection with the Old Testament and the New New Testament. Because if you think about it, the snake was the curse. The snake was the cursed creature. Even from the the garden, the serpent was cursed. Cursed. And so here are the people of God and they are complaining and they don't like the food they do have and it's worthless. And what are you going to do, God? You're going to call us out here to die. And, and in their sin, God sends judgment. And that's, that judgment came in the form of serpents. And those serpents began to bite those of the Israelites so that many died. But then something happened. These Israelites began to understand and see the great sin that they have committed against the Lord. And what do they do? They admit their sinfulness. They admit that they were wrong and they repent and they run to Moses and they're like, we have sinned against God. We've sinned against you. Would you will you intercede? Will you pray? And maybe God in his mercy will send grace and forgiveness. And that's exactly what Moses does. And he takes a cursed animal and he sets it up on a pole and he rises it up so that for all of those who have been bit would look up and see the curse on the cross and would be healed. And God in his amazing grace and mercy provided a way for healing and forgiveness by placing the curse on the pole and rising it up, and for those to admit their need, and admit their sin, and look up in faith, and God brought healing, and what does the Bible say? So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just like that, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Listen to what Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In other words, Jesus Christ on the cross, God pinning all the weight and judgment of sin against a holy God. And he takes that curse, the curse we deserve. He takes it on himself. He is the spotless lamb and and all the sin is pinned on him. And what happens? That curse that is resting on our Lord and Savior, the only one who could pay the price, is lifted up on the pole. And for all of those who would admit their need and their sinfulness and would respond to God's grace and God's mercy and believe would be healed. I love that gospel picture. So must the son of man. I love this. This was not God's plan C. This was not God's plan D. This was God's plan A. There are some things we need to do Imagine probably all of us have a lot of things we need to do, but, but there's another category and it's the category we must do. We must do the death of Christ was necessary for mankind to be saved. And so Christ took our place on that cross. Why? Because Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. That Hebrews 9.22 says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That Ephesians chapter two says God being rich. And here it is in his mercy. He showed mercy to the Israelites. He shows mercy to us because of the great love that he has toward us. First John four, nine through 10 in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his son, the only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation or satisfaction for our sin. In other words, God did not just from a distance to his creation. Say, I love you. I love you. He didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just say it. He demonstrates it. For God so loved the world, he came to us because we could never ascend to him. For God so loved the world, he died for us. It's a death that we all deserve, but he was our substitutionary death for us. And for God so loved the world, one more observation is that he gives life to all who believe. He gives life to all who believe. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's the first of 15 times we see eternal life in the gospel of John. That there's in one sense, we speak of life and it's the life we live kind of day in, day out, week to week. But this life speaks of eternity with King Jesus forever and ever and ever. Verse 16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when God says for God, so he's it's not kind of like I do sometimes. I love you so much. I get my kids. I love you so much. Like, it's not just this so much. The so is pointing to the cross of Christ. And God says, I love you this much. He says, for God so loved the world, that word world speaks to every single person. That there's no one outside of the the realm of God's love. And I just want to say this for what it's worth. Is if there is somebody in the room, someone listening in online, and maybe you don't hear the words, I love you very much. Or if you do hear it, it's normally hinged on some kind of condition that you meet. And if you meet that condition, then they say they love you. I want us all to be reminded of God's amazing love. God's love for you. God's love for the world that he gave his only son. How do we know somebody loves? The word is great. Telling somebody you love them is great. But love is best displayed in sacrifice. It's best displayed in sacrifice. And so Christ is that sacrifice. He's that demonstration of love. The only son, the unique son of God, God in the flesh to whomever believes in him. That word believe speaks of not the intellectual, superficial agreement, intellectual agreement. It speaks to I put my whole weight and my whole trust and my whole life in Christ the Bible says that whoever believes in him should not perish. That word, that word speaks to eternal judgment. God's judgment. Hell is a real place of eternal perishing. It's described as a lake of fire that burns forever. And hell is a place of eternal conscious torment. But to believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life, life and life forever with him. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The mission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, his first coming was not to bring judgment and judgment and judgment. The first coming of Jesus was to rescue. It was a rescue mission. It was a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. God did not send his world in the world to condemn that world, to get in the world. That word means to judge, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In other words, the only way to be saved is through a relationship with Jesus. He's the only way. In verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. He who believed is not condemned. That word you get into the language. It's present tense. That means it's active. That means it's ongoing. That means it's happening. That means for every person who has repented of their sin and trust in Jesus. You are not condemned. The judgment has been removed. It's what Romans 8.1 says. It's my favorite verse. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The judgment has been removed. I'm not condemned right now. I won't be condemned tomorrow. And I won't be condemned the day after that. Or a month from now when you check in on me. I am secure in Christ. I am not. I am not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. The one who rejects Christ. The one who does not turn to him, condemnation is resting on that person. Judgment is resting on that person. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed if you think about it, why in the world would someone not run to responding to God's grace? Why would anybody not not run to this free gift of salvation for all who would repent and believe and be granted grace and forgiveness and peace with God? Like what is hindering anybody from making that decision? And the Bible teaches us that people love the dark more than they love the light. They love the dark. Think about Nicodemus. Think about how much that brother would have to give up to repent and to give his life to Jesus. I don't know if he's married. What would his wife think if he came home one day and said, you know, whatever her name is, I need to tell you something. My whole life I have thought because I'm a good person and because my bloodline and because I am passionate about the law and because I've memorized the Bible, I have thought that those things would would give me the key to the kingdom, so to say, to spe- spend eternity with God. But I need to tell you something. I met with Jesus today and Jesus told me that unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. I've had it all wrong. It's not about being moral. It's not about being like my good works outweighing my bad works. It's not by having a lot of knowledge stored up in my head. It's not even about having a respect for God. It's about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And so he wants to stay in that dark a little bit because when you step in that light, our sin is exposed. Nobody likes their sin being exposed. Nobody's like, oh, look at what I did. Look at how bad I mess up. Look at how I fell. Nobody, nobody does. So why just keep it in the dark? But that's the lie of the enemy. Can I just say a word that I think is encouraging? Sin loses its power in the light. It really does. The enemy will do everything he can to steal, kill and destroy and keep that thing in the dark. But there is grace and forgiveness in the light. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light and that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. In other words, if a person has a personal relationship with Jesus, their life will be changed. It's not a life of works. We're not saved by works, but the works are an evidence of what God has done in our life. And so there is this there is this changed life that happens. It's it's how Nicodemus uh, Jesus was teaching Nicodemus earlier in the conversation uh, before we jumped in today. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit and how. Uh, you know, it's the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. If you've been through a couple tornadoes up this way or down in Florida and you experience a hurricane, you may not see the wind, but you walk outside when day breaks. The evidence is obvious. It's obvious when a life has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their lives are forever different. And so, as I wrap up, God is so good. He's so good that he didn't just shout from the distance, I love you. He said, I'm going to demonstrate my love toward you. I want to show that picture. I mentioned we saw that picture at the, at the beginning of our time and uh, how I said we come back to it. I want us to look at this picture one more time. And, and I don't want to presume anything that, that would not be true, but here's my guess and my hunch. My hunch is this single mom of three who's tucked away in, in Guatemala that my hunch is, is that she does not have the resources, the labor, the materials, and the dollars needed to provide a home for her family. And so here she is with an inability to provide this new home and everything that's required for that home. It's hard, like like they can't do it. So what happens? So, So a team comes in being the hands and feet of Jesus and the materials are all paid for. There's no cost to the recipient. All the labor, all the materials, every screw, Every beam, every piece of wood, it's all been covered. The, the, the work has been done. The work has been done. But now here's the only thing. As Tommy Taylor comes and puts his arm around her, as she is completely blown away and overwhelmed that this gift has come to her, that there is a key that, is, that, is, that Tommy has in his hand And as long as Tommy has the key, it's not her home. Like it would be a strange story if we got up here and I showed this picture and I said, you'll never believe what happened. She just turned around and walked away. (laughs) She didn't want the house. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't want it. No, she's completely overwhelmed that the resources, the cost, the materials, the whole thing has been done, has been finished. All she has to do is just receive the key and it's all hers. And it reminds me of this story that Jesus sits knee to knee with a very religious man and he's helping him and he's teaching us. Listen, Nicodemus, it's not about you respecting me. I know you called me rabbi. You're a rabbi. We're not equals. That I know that you have a passion for the law and doing right. And and that's, 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 that's good. I affirm living a good life. But you need to understand if you're banking your salvation on being good, then you are missing it. That it's not about uh, having an intellect with being able to answer all the questions. And what he's saying is, Nicodemus, you are not good enough to enter the kingdom of God. Well, then what, what do I need to do? You need to be born again. You need to respond to the work that Christ has finished on your behalf. And how do you take that key of relationship? You admit your sinfulness, just like the people in Israel in the wilderness did. And just like all of those who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ. You acknowledge your need. You change your mind about your sin. You repent of your sin and you look up and you place your faith and trust in the son of God who took on the curse of sin for our behalf that is paying a sin debt that I deserve to die, but he is taking my place and he is paying the price to appease a holy God who must judge sin because he's a good judge. He judges sin and he's a loving God. He's a loving judge. He's a just judge and that they placed his body in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be born again. And you will not just receive an earthly home like we saw in this picture. You will receive an eternal home in the presence of Almighty God, worshiping him forever and ever and ever. So I want to pray. And for the believers in the room... Can we just take a moment together and just be in awe of God's grace and be in awe of God's mercy and be amazed at the fact that he didn't just shout out from a distance. I love you, but rather he demonstrated that love toward us and that when we could never ascend, he descended to us. And it could be that there's somebody in your life right now. And again, we need to tell people we love them. You tell them you love them, but maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been telling that you love them, but perhaps God desires to move and work through your life to demonstrate that love in a tangible way. And by, by being the hands and feet of Jesus in a tangible way, that might point to a gospel conversation and you can tell what real love looks like. And so maybe that's you, maybe you're here and you relate to Nicodemus. Not in the sense that you're a ruler of the Jews, but in the sense that you have not, you don't have a relationship with King Jesus. And so here, Jesus, through the gospel, through his word, is handing the key. He's offering the key. If you will repent and you will believe, you will receive. And so I invite you, if you've never made that decision in your life, if you're listening online, you never made that decision in life. Today is the day of salvation. Salvation. So be responsive to that Holy Spirit leading. And can I just say, if the whisper of the enemy says, but what will they say? Can I just say in love, who cares? There will be a room. There will be a faith family that will rally around you and and support and encourage you like, like none other. And so we're gonna sing There'll be pastors here. If we can pray for you, we would love to pray for you. If you want to come to the altar and pray, please feel that freedom to come to the altar and pray. But may we be sensitive and responsive to however the Lord would lead us in this time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, God, for this gospel conversation. Thank you, God, for God, the fact that you so love the world that you gave that God on my own and, and even in my best day, there would be no way for me to ever ascend to you. And he knew that. And so you descended to us. And You made a way where there was no way to have a relationship with you. So God, I pray against the traps that are out there, against respect, against good behavior traps. Those things are good, but they don't, They don't bring relationship. So if there's anybody that needs to begin a relationship with you, I pray that they would take that step today. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.